Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank squad and welcome to your Ranks FC podcast back again for another week. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today. And with me, to begin with at least, only one other man right now. It's the Rank God, Mr. Sam Tai. Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm not too bad, mate. I'm not too bad. I'm pleased to report, Rank Squad, that Dean Jones has made it safely to the other side of the world. He is over in America. He's over in the States. He's able to... He sent us uh, lots of pictures of Pringles um, in lots of other flavors <laughs> and, and various other sources. So we're excited to see what he brings back. But uh, I can confirm that he is alive and well. Um, in his place today, we're going to have a very special guest. We're having Stephen Ganavas of the Scouted Football Network, I should say. It would be doing him a disservice to, to pin him down to one part. He is a writer, podcast, uh, general kind of go-to man for the Scouted Network and uh, we're really excited to have him in and Sam we're going to be talking about some more young players uh, we did our teenagers episode uh, a little while back but we're going to be talking about some of the, the maybe under the radar names on this Golden Boy shortlist yeah let's shine some light on the other guys huh uh, you had enough of me talking about uh, Pedri you've definitely had enough of Jack talking about Pedri so let's skip the conversation let's move it on a little bit and let's talk about some of the other names that we think the rank squad need to know for now and for the future. And we bring Stephen in as an absolute aficionado of youth football to tell us all about them. Yeah, I mean, we couldn't have asked for, for anyone better, really, in this regard. So excited to bring you Stephen and his ranking uh, of those players. But before we do that, Sam, it's time for Things We Love. Yeah, is it me first? Wonderful. It is you first. Go on. Uh, you know what? Sometimes it's the simple things in football that you can really fall for. And in a week, on a weekend where there was there was a lot happening, a lot of crazy carnage, a lot of drama. You've got the North London derby, you've got the Rome derby, you've got Manchester City beating Chelsea at the bridge, you've got Manchester United losing and missing a last minute penalty. There's a lot happening. There's a lot happening, and it can be very easy to be overwhelmed. So I was feeling a bit like that at one point, and I decided to just to hone in on on one very specific touch of the ball that I absolutely adored. This and is niche. It's, yeah, it's very niche. It's very niche. But I appreciated it so much. I've replayed it so many times. It's Emil Smith-Rowe in the build-up to Aubameyang's goal in the North London derby. It's when Tierney plays the ball into Aubameyang and he flicks it round his shoulder for the onrushing Emil Smith-Rowe in transition. And Smith-Rowe takes a touch that I think is just perfect. And I, I fell in love with, with it at the time and I went and watched it back and I just thought, absolutely incredible. He basically has to take one of those patented big touches. It's a big touch into space because he's got momentum, but he needs to surge past the centre-back. But he needs to do it in a controlled way. The touch has to be perfectly measured. It needs to be strong and into space. It needs to be angled properly because Smith-Rowe has to sprint past Davinson Sanchez and he has the ball. And Davinson Sanchez is one of the fastest centre-backs in the Premier League. And every touch that Smith-Rowe made in the build-up to that goal, where he eventually squares it for Aubameyang to score, is perfect. And look, we can get lost in it sometimes, but the technical ability required to, to for every single thing that he did at high speed to be perfect, you it cannot get lost on you. It is 
so ridiculously difficult to do that and to outpace a centre-back while you have the ball and to touch at the right angle and the right speed and the right power and eventually cut it back and keep your composure. I just thought it was absolutely amazing. And like, like a lot of people were talking about Sakura after that game. There was a great save from Aaron Ramsdale afterwards. There was all sorts happening over the course of that weekend. But I found, I found my calm my calm zone. I found, I found my happy place just watching that touch. I mean, yes, it's just a wonderful touch. I'm, I'm glad that he's really helped you out so much. I, I also saw the touch and I thought, yeah, good touch. Yep. <laughs> you know, really, really enjoyable. I enjoyed the fact that it went the way that the Smith Rowe was trying. I think, look, there's been a lot of chat about how good Smith Rowe is, right? And, and, and what he brought to the table. And it was a very, very impressive performance just kind of all around. And you know, the way that him and Erdegaard dovetailed, I thought, for Arsenal was was pretty spectacular in, in, in many ways. I, I really did just enjoy how how they worked together, how they played off each other. I mean, we've spoken so much about Bukayo Saka and how good he is that you know I think that, that that drum doesn't need so much beating anymore because he just is an outrageously talented footballer. But when you're looking at this from the perspective of everyone dovetailing so nicely together, and this being maybe Arteta's team, right? For the for the first not maybe for the first time, but for the first time perhaps this season. So Arteta's side in a team that he has signed quite a lot of the players, the other players that are in this side, he's given it, you know, he's extended their contracts. This is very much a team of players that Arteta wants to be at the club. And I think that in itself was quite a nice kind of sub narrative to the whole Arsenal thing. I mean, the fact that they lost the first three games of the season and then won the next three and Tottenham won the first three and lost the next three is, is a kind of mad, mad subplot in itself. But the fact that Arsenal have finally, you know, especially there was a lot of overreaction after the first three losses. There was a lot of overreaction about the transfer market and what they spent. Then there was a lot of overreaction about the fact that they won two games very, very narrowly, um, and everyone was Arsenal oh, back. This is the first time I think you can look at this game and be like, okay, this was a really, really impressive performance. We don't have to overreact or underreact to it. It's just a this was Arsenal being very, very good, and they deserve all the praise and happy times that are coming their way for for the foreseeable future. Anyway, because you know that's a, a game that hugely matters. Maybe the game that hugely matters in the course of this season, considering that we think that Arsenal are probably going to be in the Europa League hunt as opposed to the Champions League hunt. It's, you know, winning the derby and, and winning those games against Tottenham are about as up there as you can get in terms of how important they are. So uh, revel in it, Arsenal fans. It was, <laughs> it was pretty, pretty impressive. And also it? just revel in the fact that you've got an attacking midfield uh, trio here of Emil Smith-Rowe, uh, Martin Odegaard and, and Bukayo Saka, who are three prodigiously talented players, three different players that complement each other very, very well. And they're all... 22 or 21 or 20. I think Odegaard at 22 is the, is the elder statesman of that, of that trio, which means that you have got a lot of joy coming your way over the next five to 10 years because these three are very, very good. Yes, indeed. Right, I'm gonna gonna flip it, but I'm gonna continue on joy. I mean, things we love is, is it tends to be a particularly joyful part of the podcast, and it's, it's in the name, really. But uh, I would just want to talk about Nicolo Barella, um, who was absolutely unplayable at the weekend. Uh, Inter played Atalanta. They played out a two-all draw. It was a remarkably good game of football across the thing. And look, I've sang Serie A's praises for most most weeks 
uh, on this podcast recently and uh, nothing shows any sign of slowing down. It's just been so, so impressive this year. Um, this season has been wonderful. And the fact that this title race, I think, is going to be the liveliest in Europe uh, does nothing to, to quell that optimism uh, within me that this year could be another phenomenal, magical, magisterial year on Serie A. Um, but Nicolo Barella at the weekend was just on a different planet. And there were rooms after the game. He won man of the match, obviously. Um, but I think the, the the nice one is when you know someone from your kind of bitter sworn rivals is is handing you praise that you you can't even can't even imagine. That's when you start to be like, okay, this was pretty special. And Alessandro Costacata, who obviously was uh, an AC man, uh, AC Milan legend um, in in a previous life when he used to play football, combined, compared Barella to Neymar um, after the game, and basically was like, this is just how how good he is. He absolutely couldn't couldn't sing his praises enough, Costa Curta. And, you know, he was absolutely spot on. Not only does Barella put in an absolutely delightful ball for Lautaro's opener, which is a wonderful finish in itself, but the ball from Barella is spot on. He then does it about five more times over the course of the game. There's one for Vecino where you have no idea how he's missed. There's one for Lautaro where basically Barella puts in a whipped cross the back post. Musso pushes it away and I'm not sure how Lautaro misses. And then... Barella plays in DeMarco for the shot that leads to Dzeko's equaliser. The one blip, I suppose, there is one moment where Barella just kicks out and gets booked because he's clearly so frustrated that he's playing so well um, and everyone else around him is just not quite finding the same levels. Um, but it, I think maybe on top of all of it was the fact that we weren't even sure he was going to play in this game because he limped off against Fiorentina midweek um, at the Artemio Franchi. And I think that when you look at considering, you know, two days before the game, there was this, oh, is Barella going to be fit for the game? And he comes on and, and displays a masterclass in the way that he did. You just sometimes you, you think, is getting better and better, Barella? And, you know, over the course of the last couple of years, we've been incredibly hot on, on just how good he is. It's kind of important to remember that he's still only 24. Now, he's not as young as the rest of the players we're going to discuss on this podcast, and especially, you know, with Steven. He is out of the prodigious talent category and into the, you know, should be getting into the prime of his career. But he is. And I think this is it. You're, you're looking at a player who is coming in to the absolute peak of what he can do, the absolute peak of his powers. And we've got maybe four or five years, I think, of watching Barella play at this level on a week-in, week-out basis. And I just can't wait to continue to see him do this kind of thing. The, the, the kind of move he has where he chops back on himself and swings in a right-footed cross from the left-hand side that seems basically undefendable. Jekko heads it over. Jekko heads one over, Vecino <laughs> hits one over, Lautaro hits, but he does it about five times. But all of the, like pretty much all of the big chances integrate in the second half. It's all the same thing. Barella just cutting back inside and playing this delightful curled ball into the back stick. And I think that once everybody continues to get on his wavelength, you know, we're still seeing this this relationship with Jekko blossoming, right? We're just seeing it start to find its groove. I think once Jekko realizes exactly what's happening here every time, it's going to be basically undefendable. And, and that makes for exciting times, especially if you're an Inter fan, but mostly if you just like watching Barella because his assists <laughs> go through the absolute roof. And, and that for me was a thing I loved this weekend. Very predictable, Jack. Very predictable. <laughs> 
It's not that predictable. I like Barella, but it's not that predictable. Right, I think on that note, we should probably move on and let's get into our main ranking. After the break, we're going to be introducing Stephen Ganavas and he's going to be giving us a ranking of five players you really need to know more about on the Golden Boy shortlist. Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast, where I am delighted to introduce our first special guest of this new season, really. It's a a really, really, really special one for me. This is someone I've waited to have on the podcast for a long, long time. Uh, So welcome, please, Mr. Stephen Ganavas of the Scouted Football Network, but also of the new Scouted Football Unfiltered podcast. Uh, Stephen, it has been a long time coming, this one. Yes, it's always a pleasure to, to talk to you guys. It uh, feels like almost a century ago before I was in the UK and saw you guys in 2018, but good to be on the pod. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's Scouted Football Daddy is probably the most uh, appropriate uh, name for Stephen in terms of his title, I think. It's not, it's not just podcast, not just network. It's like, it's like the father figure of the entire thing. Pretty sure he runs it. He's like the Godfather. <laughs> the Godfather is a, is, is a lovely description. If anyone ever calls me a Godfather of anything, I think it'd be something I'll, I'll take <laughs> take to my grave. That'd be a, 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 a nice one. So I'm sure that's uh, to work that well. Um, Sam, you are going to set this up, and we'll uh, we'll get going on it. Sure. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the best teenagers in world football, and we ranked what we thought were the the current five best teenagers in world football. And then, sort of coincidentally, possibly due to bad planning on my part. Um, yeah, around the same time, the Golden Boy shortlist is presented to the world. And we think, oh, well, obviously we should do something on that. And you go through the list, you're like, ha, we definitely just talked about all the big guns here. So uh, what do you want to do? So I spoke to Stephen and just asked him if he would like to talk about five of the players that are never going to win this award. Like absolutely no chance, but are very interesting or very fun or very talented in ways that you may not know. And we thought Stephen would be one of the best people to get on and take a look at some of those more obscure names. Perfect. Well, it feels like a, a ripe time to get into it, Steve. I'm looking forward to seeing what's in the list. Yeah, so I thought I would, as it is the Ranks podcast, I'd try to go in some sort of uh, rank of where I kind of rate them in terms of current ability, uh, yeah, as they are now, uh, even though it is, can be a little bit difficult rating centre-backs against strikers or whatnot, but giving it my best shot. Um but yeah, these lists are always entertaining when they come out. I think uh, there's probably maybe two or three players normally that can win the award, but they uh, name a shortlist. I think is it 60 players, the first shortlist, and then start oh, narrowing yeah. it down. Um, but anyway, without further ado, uh, the first player I've gone with at number five is Mohamed Ali Cho, who is a uh, 17-year-old striker from Angers in France. Um, and he's one that put, I... If you re- just put this guy in to make Jack happy... Because Jack is a, a, Jack's the biggest Angers fan in West London. <laughs> yeah, so I hadn't, I hadn't really um, seen much Angers or Ali Cho at all um, until the start of this season, and it was before Setiard started, which is more of my uh, my jam. But uh, I was watching Angers play Lyon, and uh, yeah, I straight away kind of saw Ali Cho up front and just looked so so entertaining. So I got reading a little bit more about his story, and turns out that he was a PSG product who then moved to Everton I think at around 11 years old then after about five years uh, came back to to Angers and straight away basically uh, into the first team and uh, yeah in that game against Lyon that I saw um, looked like a super direct runner Um, from what I a little bit of research that I did he has the uh, most uh, meters uh, progressed per carry uh, which is really exciting Um, so he's got a bit of a 
wingers technical um, skill set, but kind of like a developing striker's body. Um, so really excited to see how he's going. I'd be interested to know uh, what your thoughts are on him, Jack. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I remember seeing that first goal against Wren and it, it was sort of all a bit of everything, right? He, he absolutely like annihilates someone for strength uh, on, on the right-hand side, right? He, he knocks knocks his defender over and then sort of drives really hard into the into the penalty area. The first shot is a little bit scruffy. He sort of just ends up saving it and it, it basically he taps in on the rebound. And I think that was the moment where everyone went a bit mad. It was like the first player in, I think, 2004 to score uh, in Liga and and the first for the youngest scorer in Angers history. And suddenly you're like, who is this kid? Like, what's going on here? And I I think it was the kind of wider narrative around him. It was like, hang on, it's not so much the, just the fact that he's been able to drive. And like you say, that carrying ability, which is so obvious every time he gets on the ball, but also like the physical strength he has at 17, the the kind of like all-rounded nature of the game he has. He can look up, he's happy to find a pass. You know, he makes all of the, he makes a lot of right decisions. Doesn't make all the right decisions, don't make all the right decisions, but he makes a lot of correct decisions for someone so young. And I think that was the thing that kind of drew me to him first. Obviously you see him and you go, wow, this kid can dribble. Um, but but after that you go, okay, he can dribble, sure. But he also looks up. He's also got his head up. He's also looking for the pass. He's looking for the the, the little slot. And at that point you're, you're going, okay, he looks like a kind of seasoned pro. And yet he's 17 years old. And I know there was a lot of kind of chat on Everton forums. There was a lot of chat on on Everton Twitter being like, why on earth did we let this kid leave? Like, why have we let such a talent leave the club? But when someone feels like they are ready to play in the first team, and, you know, I think even Angers didn't think they were going to bring him in to, to start him in the first team. He obviously felt he was ready. They didn't. And, and Everton, you'd imagine, in, in being the stature of club they are ahead of, of where Angers are, you'd say, yeah, that pathway is blocked even further. And so when he feels like he's ready to move up and the club are going, hold on there, lads. Let's uh, let's all just calm down a second. He's gone off and been like, nope, I told you I was ready. I am ready and I'm, I'm, I'm ready to kick on. And I think he's just such an exciting prospect at this age. And the fact that he seems to be, you know, obviously we've only seen him play, what, six, seven games really this season. But ultimately it feels like, we're seeing someone who's already starting to find a level of consistency well beyond their years. He's already got 600 minutes here and he's in the season and he's 17 years of age. And we sort of take it for granted sometimes when maybe when a player that young puts together or chains together a series of appearances or, or puts together a volume of minutes like that so quickly. But that in itself is an absolutely humongous achievement for a 17-year-old to be out there starting seven games out of eight and putting together almost 600 minutes is absolutely remarkable. Yeah, and it's that progression, I think, from last season as well, which was pretty much all sporadic minutes off the bench. Uh, and then straight away coming to the season, just c- consistently starting games, starting games, starting games. And then you also you kind of look from afar and you see only one goal. Uh, but I you know, did a little bit a uh, little bit more digging and found that he's one of the like most underperforming XG players in all of Europe over the last 12 months. So um, still lots to build on, even though it looks like the end product might not quite be there yet. Have uh, still got this like wicked, I can't remember his name, he's got a brilliant sporting director, the one that's been like flipping players for the last two, three years. And Nicola Pepe came through Angers, didn't he, before moving on and then moving on again for absolutely massive money. I mean, if it's the same guy, then it doesn't surprise me that he's managed to pick out Ali Cho from Everton's youth team and gone, yep, he's ready because Angers have a, have a knack for this. They're certainly one of the clubs at the lower end of the scale 
that are much better at talent ID than the others. Yeah, and Geoffrey in Adelaide came through. Uh, they brought him over from Arsenal as well, and he did really, really well there before he moved on to to Lyon as well. So yeah, they're they're always been a over the last few years a, a really fun mid table club. That uh, yeah, and with players like now they got Buffal as well on on the left doing a bit of damage ah. there. A really interesting team to watch. <laughs> Buffal, man, jeez, if you could just play well all the time. Three. The front <laughs> three they have there, I think it is so exciting. And you talk about Buffal there. And yes, he is absolutely Mr. Mercurial. Right? One day he is unplayable and the next day he doesn't know how to keep the ball. But it's him, Ali Cho and Angelo Fulgini. And actually the whole, the three of them working in tandem has been beautiful. And actually Fulgini, who was, you know, Angers' best player last year, but by a distance, I would suggest, you know, and there was a lot of chat about him leaving this year. He's been redeployed in order to make sure that, you know, Ali Cho gets these regular minutes. And I mean, that, if it doesn't say enough about how highly they rate him, is is impressive. And it really is. It's a, they're a fun side to watch. And I was singing their praises a couple of weeks back on the pod because they, you know, they went out and they went out with no fear and they've been playing a little bit aggressively. And look, it, sometimes it backfires. They got absolutely battered by nonce a couple of weeks back. And, you know, when, you, when you're playing in that kind of effusive attacking style and, and you get caught, it can look a little bit ugly. But in terms of what it's giving to someone like Joe at, at this age, right, and 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 see what he, he's getting and, and being able to be part of, it, it's such a kind of nice place for him to be. And it's interesting because there was there was a lot of interest in him this summer. And there was, you know, he's, it seems like he's kind of, you know, his career to this point has been on like super speed mode, right? It's like he's had like a mushroom on Mario Kart and he's been like absolutely like <laughs> flying around. I've been like, woo um, and And now they've gone like, well, maybe we need to just, lacks a second because you know Red Bull were interested and you know that we all know how how important impressive that system is at bringing through young talents um there, there's always going to be a lot of a lot of teams who are, are looking at him and going 17 and he's doing that we can make him into an absolute superstar um but I think that him staying and and spending a year now on share and just allowing himself to you know get those regular minutes to be part of a front three which is lots of fun to play for an attack-minded coach all of it seems to fit and I'm just really glad he's there for the year. And I mean, I, that interest, I don't think is going to be going away anytime soon. I would imagine he is on the, the radar of a lot of big clubs. Should we move on to number four then, Stephen? Okay. Number four, we have uh, Jeremy Pino of Villarreal, who is uh, 18-year-old, predominantly been playing on the right wing this season. But um, he's one that you really don't hear a lot of hype about. Uh, maybe I'm not in the right circles, but... Um, Consistently putting in shifts for a really, really good team uh, and really a well-rounded player that is useful from an attacking standpoint, uh, quite useful as a presser from a defensive standpoint. Um, but yeah, in, in, in his role so far this season, we've seen him a lot uh, out on the right trying to stretch the pitch and then uh, bring the ball inside when he uh, gets possession, always looking for for cutbacks rather than trying to, to scythe through the the defense with uh, too many killer passes, but he's also um, been able to pop up as a, a, a useful goal scorer here and there, and especially uh, for the under 21s, he's been been starring as well. So uh, I think he might be another one that I could feel like you might have a, a, a keen eye on as well, Jack. Yeah, I feel like you've you, you tailored this list for me. It's <laughs> very pleasant. I'm having a good time here. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he's really good. I, I like I like the fact that he can play on both sides. Uh, I like the fact that he's been able to, you know, just sort of slot into the side. And, and it's interesting, right? You don't see too many... I, I, would, I would term them, you know, he is a winger, but I would term them as a, as a right or a left midfielder 
right? And it's, it's very rare that you see these players anymore because in the modern game, you very rarely see four across the middle. And, you know, it does, it just happens to be this Emery 4-4-2, which relies on the idea of having an actual left or right midfielder who is able to drop back, like you say, do the defensive work, put in that shift both ways and still go forward. And also, you know, like you say, not necessarily looking to to score every time he cuts in. He's not a, he's not a, a goal scoring winger in the kind of Salah mold. He is someone who likes to tug the touchline almost almost a Dwight McNeil kind of esque player in in some ways, right? You, you don't see too many of them because they don't really exist in the modern game, but he is actually a midfielder, a wide player that isn't a, a kind of winger. And, and the fact that he's able to get to the byline a lot and, and as you say, cut back, he's able to swing across in, he's able to to look up and, and, and find a team out. I just find it really interesting to see exactly how this pans out. The one thing that kind of always strikes me, and I think Pino's excellent, is that, can you move that on when you, if you eventually leave Villarreal? Now, that's not to say he should. That's not to say he will. Um, but if he does, you know, move on in his career and, and join a club maybe of the next tier up, how do you translate that midfield role into into being a winger in the traditional sense? Because we're actually looking at a, a team that plays a very, very particular like style. And, and and that isn't that common around the world. And, and so actually trying to see where that goes next is a really interesting one for me. I wouldn't be too worried about that, to be honest, right now. Um, I think what we've seen from him so far with regard to the balance to his game, defensive and offensive kind of balance and that kind of all-round nature of it. And I have been impressed with him in just almost sort of every phase of play. Um, and it's a big compliment that Villarreal are, are, are looking to Pino in the absence of someone like Samuel Chukwueze and just going like, oh, can you just play here and just do his job for him, please? Um, which is quite incredible because we thought that Chukwueze was really onto something, didn't we? At the end of last season, we thought he was mm. sort of taking a bit of a leap. And with Pino, it was like, I didn't realise he was so young, I guess is probably the way I'd put it. Like I hadn't really necessarily seen that much of him. And then towards the back end of the season, he sort of starts to step into the team a little bit because they need him. And I was like, oh, he's probably about 21 um, and it turns out he's 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 really not. He's actually really really young, and he's quite mature for his age. Mm. Depend in terms of tactical awareness, ability to slot into different positions, and ability to carry out the extreme amount of like flamethrower instructions that Unai Emery is no doubt screaming at him from the touchline. I remember he's on the wing as well, so for forty five minutes a game, you've probably got Emery screaming directly down his ear the entire time. It must be a lot to take in, and he's doing it really well. Getting getting the Jose Mourinho to to Luke Shaw treatment, you're saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the, yeah, but precisely. I think, I think it's a, a good sign when a player at 18 is looking as comfortable having to set up in you know the two blocks of four on yeah. on the wing as they are when they get into the final third and they're looking to either score or assist. And the output they're getting out of him in the final third is quite good when you consider that he still plays quite deep in in the setup. Um, so super impressive, even just as a outlet player. Um, and you talk about Chiquizzi who, you know, can give the ball to him, he will take it and run. Um, you've got Pino who kind of gives you two options cause he's really comfortable then bring it inside and play, feeding it back into the midfield, or he yeah. can get the ball and, and fly down the wing and, and try to play in that more direct manner. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll hear a bit more about him because I think he, uh, he deserves a bit more luck in, uh, a bit more of a, um, a bit more hype in the mainstream than he, than he gets at the moment. 
Don't worry, we'll, we'll, don't worry, we'll, we'll step into the void, Stephen. We'll, we'll, we'll do that job for you. <laughs> this is what we're, yeah, this is what it's about. No, it is one of those. But I mean, he's the youngest Europa League winner ever, right? And he scored his first goal in the Europa League. I think it was against Karabakh. Um, he scored a really, really good goal. And I remember being like, bro, who's this? And then suddenly, you know, I, I think there is that um, that element of he stepped into a massive game, right, in the, in the United game, in the, in the Europa League final. And we're talking about, you know, Chikweze, who is another favourite of, of ours. And, and to be like, OK, I'll just step into that role. And, you know, I'm not the same player by any stretch of the imagination, but I will be able to fulfil the role he's doing and pin the left back, make sure that everything is kind of working in, in the senses that the rest of this team is, is functioning correctly. And then you go on and, you know, this year, obviously, we've seen those two assists against Atleti. It, it, it was those, you know, the start of the season, he started to, to really kind of push onwards and uh, and kick into that position and, and make it his own, right? In, in a way that you're looking at and going, okay, obviously, when Chikweze comes back, he's going to be part of this side because he's an incredible talent. But at the moment, you're going, right, how do you fit him and Pino into the same side? Because you've got to that point where you're like, you don't want to be dropping him, not where he is right now. And then, you know, the, you know, obviously a little bit, a little bit older and, and a little bit like further along the chain, but, but Dan Juma's has come in and been excellent. Chigueros has, has done really, really well this season. You're looking at this going, right, how do you feel these players in Unai? Because you, you suddenly ended up with, with more gems than you perhaps, you know, thought you had even in yourself in the tank. And and, and yeah. that I think is interesting. They've got a lot of, they've got a lot of games to play though, Villarreal. They do games. have a lot of games to play. We were They'll worried about their worry. This is the issue. They're good. We sorted it. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, Villarreal's academy continues to produce, right? We've seen a lot of really talented players come through the Villarreal Academy. You know, Santi Cazorla came through. Bruno Soriano came through. Gerard Moreno's come through. Uh, we're, we're talking about Paul Torres recently. He's, he's come through. And, and Jeremy Pino seems like the, the latest one off that production line. So um, good things coming out of the yellow submarine. So fair play to them. Um, and, and with that, it might be time for number three. Sounds good. Uh, so number three, we have uh, Karim Adeyemi from uh, Red Bull Salzburg, who... Is the the man tasked with filling some Pats and Daka shaped shoes up front for the uh, for Salzburg, um, and he's been yeah really good to start the season. Uh, he's got five non penalty goals in about seven hundred minutes or so, so not quite Holland or, or Daka numbers, but but quite impressive nonetheless. Um, but yeah, there's one thing that you'll notice straight away when you when you see Adiemi, and that is that he is just lightning quick. Uh, Playing off the shoulder, he can be a one-man counter-attack. He's fantastic in in transition, uh, but probably has a few more limitations to his game once the once the game slows down in terms of receiving and uh, playing between the lines. Uh, in a handbook profile, Joe, who does the podcast, talked uh, about uh, Adi Amy at, at youth level uh, in Germany and how basically a third, uh, three quarters of his goals were essentially the keeper just uh, sending the ball over the top for for him to to run onto and and score. So um, we've got a guy that is a great goal scorer. Um, all that kind of basic penalty box stuff, even the just the general instincts of getting ready to to play rebounds or anything like that, he's got in his locker. Uh, but probably a bit more of that all round, uh, you know, connecting with his midfielders and 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 being able to work. Uh, once the team, other once the opposition team have the the set blocks, uh, that's where he's going to need to to develop. But we've already seen in the Champions League, him be a massive nuisance uh, winning penalties against Sevilla. Um, so he, yeah, I think I think in the Champions League could be a really great opportunity for him to shine because he's going to have a lot more space uh, to attack in behind uh, with teams pushing Salzburg uh, deeper into their own half. So yeah, excited to mm. to see him play this week. Uh, no pun intended here, but he's moved on a lot. 
quicker than I thought he would um, because I was sort of pegging him as a bit of a a bit of an impact player for the Champions League this season, to be honest with you, because of the limitations you've talked about. Um, I saw him as the ideal kind of player to bring on with sort of 15, 20 minutes to go when the game starts to get a little bit stretched, if the centre-backs are a little bit tired, if they're on their heels and not turning properly. And having him run off the shoulder is is a crazy threat. It's 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 absolutely ridiculous. Um, and there's like a bit of like really, really early kind of like Michael Owen running into space about him. And I was like, what? Because of the limitations in his link play, he may not be relied on immediately, but they, they stuck him in and he went ahead and won, what, three penalties in one half against Sevilla? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, he and Susic decided to miss a couple, but um, <laughs> uh, the intent is there. The threat is there. He is so fast and so direct. It is absolutely ridiculous. And I love watching him play. He's, he's thrilling, isn't he? Yeah, he's electric. That's it. And and I think that you know, I was with you. I wasn't sure that he was going to get all of that much of starts just because I think Benjamin Sheshko is so good. Um, and you're looking at how much talent is part is is in this is in this squad at Salzburg, and you're like, okay, how, who who gets the nod this week? Because you can rotate the strike. Obviously, Brendan Aronson's there as well. There's a lot of very very talented players in this Salzburg squad, and and Adiemi is the one that's come out, you know, looking at the moment like he is the biggest threat, and that in itself is a massive compliment, right? The fact that we're talking about him in in that regard when these players around him are all so talented is. Uh, enough of a, a kind of exciting idea to to kind of put it in in a base level at this point on its own and obviously there's there's a lot of chat about where he's going to go next which is kind of natural at Salzburg and you know you, you look at the fact that the Liverpool have already been linked Barcelona have already been linked Bayern Munich have been linked Borussia Dortmund have been linked it, 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 there's so much going on here that you're going okay he's obviously got his first German call up as well he's got his first uh, first goal for his country and you're you're looking at it going He's 19 years old and, and there are so many people who should be not ahead of him in the pecking order, but you know what I'm saying? This, this German attack has so much talent in it and around it that you're a little bit concerned about just how everybody fits. And yet he's the one who's been given the nod by Hansi Flick. He's the one that, that seems to be in demand. And, and ultimately, I think we're looking at a very, very special talent here in Adiemi. Yeah, I think the scary part is that we're saying how good he is when his game isn't really like fully refined yet or anywhere close to being fully refined. And if you just think if he can start to piece that together, um, and he's only been at Salzburg for a few years now, um, there's still so much more learning to do. Uh, And once he does add that to his game, the kind of level that he could reach. So we're talking about a a player that's already really good now, but the the potential is enormous if he can put those pieces of his game together. He's, He's very small, like very small. Uh, in terms of stature and and height and strength and he's a kid it's fine and he's built on speed so I'm not asking him to suddenly become the Hulk but um, I feel like if he's going to move to the Premier League I think sort of like naturally growing into his body a couple more years and just padding himself out a little bit would be would be hugely important I think he'd get jockeyed off the ball in in tight spaces and build up and say when the game slows down I think he'd really struggle with that that's why he's so electric over the top so it's something for him to kind of just grow into quite naturally but for me, like in a couple of years' time, I'm looking at a kind of Jurgen Klopp wide pro- wide forward profile, like a like a heavy goal scoring Sadio Mane Salah style, and thinking there's pretty much no reason why that can't be a reality. And that's why I 
the Austrian Bundesliga is such a good transitional league for for young players like Adeyemi that quite aren't quite physically at that level as well. Uh, it just affords them a bit more space to work in. You're not getting the the physicality of having someone like Virgil Van Dijk belting off the ball uh, every time you try to get on it. So um, he's in a in, in a great spot. Uh, still playing Champions League football, and they've started qualifying quite quite regularly. Uh, and then obviously he's going to be getting that international experience now as well. So yeah, a really good pathway is there for him. He's just got to realize the the talent that he's got. Yeah, absolutely. There, no doubt whatsoever. I think that that he's one that we're we're going to be talking about for a couple of years to come. So I'm I'm glad you've included him, Stephen. Um, and I'm actually intrigued to see who goes above him. So let's get into number two. <laughs> okay, number two we have. Uh, it's actually center backs to finish off. So. Normally, the young centre-backs, you know, they take a little bit longer to develop. But here we've got uh, two absolutely uh, gun centre-backs. The first one being uh, Ilya Zabani, who plays for uh, Dynamo Kiev and the Ukrainian national team, of course, as we saw at Euro 2020. Uh, but he's so good that uh, some of his teammates at uh, Dynamo Kiev have uh, called him the Ukrainian Maldini already. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> so no, no pressure. No, yeah, no nothing, pressure. Like, nothing like that to, to really stick it on you, is there? Jeez. But um, yeah, he's he's uh, he's 19, but he's a big boy. He's, uh, I think, around six foot three, as mobile as you could uh, hope for from a centre-back of his size. Um, so at 19, he's, yeah, physically at the level. And he kind of brings that um, veteran presence that just – there's just a few young players that – I put Coop Miners in the same bracket of just um, – yeah, they're obviously not at, at veteran level yet, but they kind of come into the team and they feel like they have a veteran presence. Um, and yeah, we saw it Euro 2020 is right up to the level. He's got, you know, on the ball, he can um, step up and step out, carry the ball through midfield, has a decent passing range and then defensively uh, quite good one-on-one, probably struggles a little bit aerially and from set pieces. Um, but the, the all-round foundations are there. He can play in a back three and succeed. He can play in a back four and succeed. Uh, at Dynamo Kiev, he's playing in a team that, you know, he's playing a high line and, and trying to keep possession a bit more. Uh, and then for Ukraine, he's pinned back a bit more and has a, a little bit more work to do in deeper areas in front of his goals. So he's been tested in all kinds of scenarios and succeeded. Uh, so I think the, the sky's only, only uh, the limit for him. Uh, we've already seen Chelsea... Uh, we're linked with a room uh, with a move for him in uh, in the summer, and I think we're only going to see more teams come come back for him next next year. He seems like a bit of a scouted favourite, Stephen. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been trying to track the progress. Obviously, it's hard to be able to watch Ukrainian football, but I was keeping a, a keen eye at Euro twenty twenty because there are a few uh, quite interesting Ukrainian prospects coming through, and he's formed a a good partnership at Dynamo with uh, Denis Popov, who's also a, a young centre back. Uh, so, yeah. Definitely, definitely up there. It's it's quite an interesting, isn't one, isn't it? Because there, there there's uh I, I don't know, not a not a stigma, that's probably the wrong word, but there are often is, especially with young centre backs, the kind of idea that all of them have to be incredibly progressive passers who are able to break lines. And Zabani isn't really one of those players. He he's a very, very, you know, strong one-on-one defender. He's very good at duels, as you say, but he's kind of more like keep it very, very simple when he passes, especially we've seen for uh, for Dinamo and, and the fact that Popov is probably the more dynamic passer of the two um, is an interesting one and I think that maybe when you're looking at this and going okay how does he fit in where does he fit in you want him to be the kind of 
maybe not the, the brew is the wrong word, but if, if you know what I mean, if you have a, a centre-back partnership and you're looking for someone who's going to be the stopper, basically, and someone who's then going to be able to take, take the ball out and carry it out, you have two very different styles of player. I know Sam loves the cat and dog terminology. I don't think it's quite that here, but it's um, th- there's definitely an element here that he is a more kind of old-fashioned centre-back in that he is, you know, the defensive side of the game comes first. And I think that's slightly refreshing in some ways. I think I think that's a, a good description. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the cat dog as well, um, and he's. I would put him probably more a little bit of a, of the cat type. He does like to to try and read the game rather than trying to be super super proactive in, in stepping out. Um, but and also with the as you said with the um, progressive passing, I think he had the highest uh, passing percentage of any player in the Ukrainian league, which probably lends itself to someone that's a little bit more conservative in his in his attempts to, to play out from the back and, and won't take too many risks. We like cats here, Stephen. <laughs> we we prefer cats, uh, big oh. cat people. Um, oh. In terms of in terms of defenders, <laughs> I, all the all, all the centre backs that I like the most are all cats. It's like it's Rafael Varane, it's Ezri Konsa, it's Maxence Lacroix. It's it's the same. It's the same type of player. Um, so this would be right up my street. Unfortunately, I haven't seen that much of him. Like there's the Ukraine stuff, sure, in the Euros. But this is one of those players where like these these this is this annoys me. So you put the time in, you watch the under 20 World Cup, you feel like you've got a really good handle on, you know, the next generation of Ukrainian players coming through that won gold in 2019. Um yep. and he wasn't there because he's just a bit <laughs> younger again, isn't he? Uh he's he was only 17 at that point, so he was a bit young and you've got like Valerie Bondar was was and and Popov his partner Popov, yeah. was was the center back partnership and I remember looking at Bondar and thinking he looks like Ruben Diaz, he looks like a thug. Um like a very aggressive kind of like brutish player. Um and was wondering like how that would translate and all the while I was worrying about this guy and Zabani just snuck under my radar. And then at the Euros, I was like, holy crap, Ugh, I missed him. I don't think he'd play any senior minutes. And then at the start of last season, he just was straight into the team and then playing every game. And then a month later, he was getting his Ukraine call up and and uh, he played in that game that they got smashed 7-1, I think, by France. But he just from the first minute was just an ever-present, basically, and someone that just couldn't be dropped it at any level. So I think that speaks for anything that he comes into the team and He's just set and forget, and you know, there's not even a question asked about whether he should be in. He's just the almost the first name on the team sheet. Yeah, I mean, 19 years old and, and starting for starting for the Ukraine, starting for, for Dynamo, is someone that's is going to be, I think, on the lips of a lot of people, right? Because of uh, of that level of maturity, and there's very few centre backs who are starting for Champions League level teams and for their countries at that age. It is as simple as that, and for that reason, Stephen, I'm really really intrigued as to who you've got above him. Yeah, so number one, we have more of a, I'd probably say more of a dog of a centre-back, and that is another one that, for the level that he plays at, I, I also am surprised that you don't hear his name uh, spoken that often, but that is Josko Gvardiol from uh, RB Leipzig, who uh, is a really thick, big-bodied centre-back that can also uh, do a pretty good job on the on the left-hand side as well. Uh, he's an ex-Dinamo uh, Zagreb youth player, uh, was on lo- loan there last season, Um and kind of in the same mold of uh, Zabani, just ca- comes into the team and kind of becomes a, an undroppable uh, force. Uh, so he's been playing on the the left for Croatia, and we saw him uh, to middling success play at left back uh, at Euro twenty twenty. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see how Leipzig get the best out of him because 
We've seen them play a little bit uh, more four at the back so far this season. Uh, but I really think with uh, Gvardiol and Simicon, you've got two fantastic options to play on the left and right side of a, of a three-man back line. So, um, yeah, Gvardiol, he can, he's another one kind of like Zabani. He's probably more comfortable uh, as a ball carrier out of defense and as a progressive passer. Um, but, yeah, in, and similar to Zabani in duels. He's only, I think, 19 now, but he is, yeah, super strong. He's, you know, built like a brick and, yeah, absolutely ready to play at the the Champions League and Bundesliga level. Yeah, he's is massive, it, like he's massive, huge, yeah. uh, like really big bodied. When you call him thick, I sort of giggled a bit because he played left back against England at, at the Euros. And it was actually him moving forward that was more impressive than defensively. He got isolated a bit defensively um, and, and England kind of picked on him a little bit, tried to tried to use Foden against him and it, and it, it, did, it did work out quite well. Uh, but he was playing left back, which it, of all the centre-backs to pick to play full-back, he just wouldn't be very high up on my list. Um, <laughs> but I'd imagine that they were short of areas in uh, short of uh, options in that area and his ability to carry the ball and his on the ball technical stuff is actually surprisingly decent and just 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 looking at him you you cast aspersions you make assumptions and they all, are almost all wrong or proven wrong immediately when you see him play mm. it's, it's yeah. a really interesting one because obviously that was that was I, I was my thought too and i remember texting you sam as that game began being are they playing Guardiola left back and went, yeah and i was like i mean i know he could play there but I wouldn't have done that uh, against England's right-hand side um, for, for many reasons. But, I mean, Stephen, I think something you said there was, was interesting in that, you know, you're talking about the fact that him and Simicam can can both slot into a three-at-the-back system. Obviously, we saw Leipzig switch to a three-at-the-back at the weekend and win 6-0. Um, and and you, you start to think, OK, maybe maybe this is actually what turns the corner for Jesse Marsh at, at Leipzig. And there was, you know, rumours he was under a little bit of pressure and this was a big game. He's gone to that three at the back system. Bardiol played on the back, you know, on the left of a back three. He has Angelino outside him, who's obviously going to to bomb up and down there all day, but he's going to look forward. And, and Mukiele played on the, the, the right kind of wing. If you have that and you have that ability and you have these players in there, especially with the kind of age and experience of Willie Orban in the middle to just guide them along through this little journey. We're starting to see a, a side that you think, okay, now you're looking at it going, yeah, very good, very good. That all balances out itself out a lot nicer than how it was looking a couple of weeks ago where, where Leipzig were just a bit mad, frankly. Yeah, and uh, I think he came off with a with a hamstring injury, which is a bit disappointing. But yeah, I mm. 100% agree. I think that that left-sided centre-back slot just suits him perfectly. And with Angelino bombing on, you've got someone who is comfortable and mobile enough to be able to get up and down and cover all that space that Angelino will tend to uh, uh, to, to leave behind him. Um, but then just going back to him as a left back and uh, with your point about him playing against England, I think the one thing he, he does struggle with, and I think he struggles more defensively than he does uh, going forward when he plays left back, he just runs um, diagonally across him. He tends to, to just lose. Um, and probably just lacks a little bit of concentration as well as we we saw the that goal uh, that Spain scored after the the cooling yeah. break, if you remember. Um, so a couple of little deficiencies to to clear up, but he's yeah, hundred percent ready to play at Champions League level, and I think he's going to have a a very long career at a high level. Absolutely, absolutely. I think we're we're all quite big fans, and that move was was a nice one. It felt like the right kind of jump 
um, I, I think. And, and the fact that he's, you know, wandered into this Leipzig side, the, the fact that Jesse Marsh is going to give young players opportunities there, we're, we're pretty sure feels like, you know, this could be a, a big season for Guardiola. And there, there might be a lot more people talking about him at the end of this season, and I think, as you say, than, the, than there are at the start of it, Stephen. Hopefully, hopefully. I think, yeah, he's going to hopefully return from his injury. Uh, hopefully it's not too too much of a of a bad one. And uh, yeah, we'll get lots of minutes into him. I think Jesse Marsh will eventually get things right and uh, Leipzig will, will be right back up there very shortly. This we is our job, to. guys. This is what we do. This, uh, Ranks FC scouted, we're, we're here to, to further the cause of a player like Vardyol where no one else will. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Stephen, thank you so much. This is um, a, a really wonderful vibe. Um, a, a very, very nice picks. Um, I, I'm pleased with them. Sam, is there anyone you were surprised that didn't, didn't make that didn't make that spot? Um, mate, the shortlist is so long. Uh, my eyes glaze <laughs> over when I when I read it. Um, I just pick out the main bits. I pick out the ones that you're obviously going to be in contention. Uh, the first thing I did when I looked at it was was check that all of the players that we talked about as best teenagers in the world were on it. Um, and they were, which is good. And I looked at, you know, right, well, who 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 could feasibly win this award that we hadn't already talked about? And the only one I could really see on there was Luke Thomas of Leicester. No, I'm just kidding. It was uh, Bukayo Saka, who had just just the two weeks after or before we talked about the best teenagers had turned 20, so he wasn't eligible. But no, I mean, look, the, the bottom edges of this list, I don't know why they bothered with the 60 to 40. I was and disappointed rather, with the I was disappointed with the sixty into forty because I think there was about five Juventus players in the initial list and they all got cut for the forty. So, oh, that's why you were disappointed. <laughs> were they were they deservedly cut? Uh, I think someone like Rovella could have uh, could have made the forty, but yeah, probably could. There can't be that many. The standard's um, quite high now, isn't it? I, I was thinking this the other day. Like often when you looked at Golden Boy shortlists in the past. You were thinking, okay, some of these players don't even get minutes. This is a very like based on the youth leagues. This is based on the UIL. Like there's a, there's a lot going on here. More and more, you're seeing a list of forty, and you're going thirty of these play first team football, uh, and and that is kind of madness in itself, right? The fact that we're seeing younger and younger players break through into the first teams and and have their kind of moment in the sun earlier doors means that this list becomes not necessarily more problematic. That wouldn't be my, my statement, but it becomes slightly less. Um, well, niche, shall we say? It becomes slightly less like players that you've heard of because they're coming through at pace at academy level, and is now players who have broken through and are playing first team football. You know, in, in across the sort of top eight, ten leagues in Europe. Yeah, and it wouldn't surprise me if in the past a lot of the players that were in it were uh, partly because of the links of whichever Tuta Sport journalists had connections to or knew about. Whereas now you're, as you said, as you said, you're seeing a lot more of these younger players actually seeing first team football. So you're not relying on a journalist contacts necessarily within a club. Like for example, um, Tuta Sport is a, like a Turin centric, uh, Juventus centric paper. So that wouldn't surprise me if the, you see a few Juventus players in there just because, uh, of the journalist contacts within the club and, and getting information on who the best young player, for example, is coming through at Juventus or, or something like that. So uh, I think you're seeing much more well-rounded uh, lists with players, as you said, getting getting minutes at senior level. Now the only task is just to release an initial shortlist of 20. Yeah, let's, let's make 20, it like 250. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and just just do away with like the idea of putting sixty players on. Maybe it's just to make a lot of players happy. I don't know, but it's a, it's a bit silly. But we can get down to the bones of it. We talked about the best teenagers last week, or the week before, and and those are the guys in contention. And then we take a look at some of the more interesting names here, who are all well. Most of them are playing Champions League football. Um, 
which again speaks to your point, Jack. Already, these players are in a position to shine at this early age. Yeah, I mean, it's just really a real shame that Fabio Carvalho actually isn't on the list. That's that's <laughs> my main gripe oh. with the whole thing that Fabio Carvalho <laughs> hasn't made it. But there's always next year for Fabcup, so it's uh, we, we've got that in the tank. I'm sure once he makes a move to a different side, we get the list. <laughs> Hey, we put some stuff on our on our website on Fabio Cavallo. There we are. Uh, two weeks ago, so we got we got a little bit for everyone. Absolutely, make sure you're over uh, scouted reading about or reading about Fab, the uh, the golden boy of Fulham Football Club. Um, Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure, um, and thank you so much for for producing such a, a cohesive list for us. Pleasure as always. Good to see you guys. Do you want to just let everyone know where they can find you and uh, and of course all the scouted bits you're up to? Yep. So uh, my handle is Stephen Scattered on Twitter. Uh, and then you can find Scatter Football at scatterfootball.com, our uh, magazines at sfhandbook.com. Uh, and yeah, our Twitter is scatteredftbl. And you can find uh, everything else we do from there. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, as ever, we are major proponents of everything Scatter do. But the new Unfiltered podcast, I'm really, really enjoying as well, Stephen. So congratulations on that. Thank you very much. All right, we'll be back after the break uh, for Dean Jones's Refoned-In Melon of the Week and, of course, the gibberish rankings. Welcome back to the Ranks FC podcast. Now, Dean Jones is clearly not here and not on this podcast, but I thought it would be wrong to not let him pick the Melon of the Week. So, without further ado, here's his nomination from across the pond. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Reese. Jones, lads, I'm actually having to give the award to my own son. (laughs) His sleep has been utterly ridiculous since we got to America on Friday. Um, Across the four nights that we've been in California, I think the longest stretch that I've had is two and a half hours. At times I'm an absolute shell of a person. Me and Taylor are just on shifts rotating through the night, trying to nick an hour here and an hour there because, look, I don't know, he's got a bit of a cold. Maybe he's got a bit of jet lag. Maybe he just doesn't like us. But yeah, he's not sleeping great and it, it's kind of killing us. Um, but the good news is um, I've tracked down all these Pringle flavours. Um, I know I've sent you to a picture. Um, so far, the scorching cheddar um have been devoured they were good they're good i wouldn't say they were scorching but they were good um so i'm going to move on to another flavor today probably the pizza ones next um so i'm looking forward to that that'll get me through um this sleep sleep deprivation if nothing else will all right lads i'll catch you soon what a melon my son is well, thank you very much to Mr. T. Jones. I'm glad he's able to, to contribute to the podcast, even from across the waves over there in America. He's just doing this so we don't dock him pay. Yeah, yeah, that's that's it. He's basically like, nope, you can uh, you can make sure you give me all, all of what I'm deserved just because I'm sending you the odd voice note. That is the uh, gibberish siren, Sam. And without Dean here, it means you have to actually do all the work for the next couple of weeks. I know, it's a nightmare, isn't it? Absolute nightmare. Uh, and sometimes when I'm lacking inspiration, I turn to Dean. And, uh, and you know what, actually? I was, I, was, I was feeling the same this week. And I thought, in this situation, what would Dean do? Uh, and Dean WWDD. Would... <laughs> what would... <laughs> I'm going to get caps made. What would Dean do? <laughs> And Dean would look, I think, much closer to home 
than I would in this kind of scenario. And he would take something from an everyday perspective and, and just create a ranking out of it. So I've done exactly the same. I've decided to rank for this week's gibberish the three TV shows that I am definitely 100% going to watch next. They're on my list. And these mm. are the three that I'm going to delve into next. There's quite a lot of pressure here, Sam, because last week's Pringles ranking, I mean, picked up more traction than anything else we've ever done, I think, frankly. We had DMs, we had messages, we had tweets, we had Instagram messages yeah. telling us about all the other flavors that we're basically not privy to in England and, and begrudging us, well, not begrudging us, but kind of saying that they were sorry that I we, think we everyone didn't felt get sorry the, for us. 100%. Yeah, we, we got quite a lot of uh, sympathy out of it. Also, so, I got uh, a message from a guy in Scotland who said that uh, his salt and pepper Pringles are consistently stocked in his Morrisons. And uh, if you if you want me to send you some, mate, yeah, I was like, oh, don't worry, dude. It's uh, it, it, the scarcity of the joy of salt and pepper Pringles is part of the charm. You had a, a moment this week where you had the, there's a potential that the pizza flavored ones might be in a shop near you. Yeah, there's a rumor going around. Actually, um, I was told uh, recently uh, there was there was a suggestion that in my local Morrison's there are pizza flavored Pringles. Um, and they're in the world food section of Morrison's. And that's why I haven't seen them, which would just be absurd. But I, I'm going to investigate this rumor as soon as um, I have plucked up the courage to go anywhere near Morrison's because it also is a petrol station, which means that right now that is a circus in England. Uh, those of you that know what that is, know what that is. All right, come on then. What have you got? So anyway, let's just know in there is contentious. This is just three shows that I'm going to watch. So mm. you know, if anyone really does feel sorry for me after this, then fair enough. But the number three, I've decided that Formula One Drive to Survive must be worth a go because how else have all of these people on my timeline on Twitter suddenly got into Formula One? Like it's so I'm, good. Sam. I'm seeing it's an so unprecedented good. amount of people talking about F1 and caring about F1 in my age group as well. I just can't believe it. And, I, and I'm going to guess that it's all traces back to the show. What do you think? Have you seen it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've seen season one and I loved it and I cannot wait to get into season two. So yeah. um, I, I, I can't recommend it enough. Does it's it brilliant. matter if you don't like F1? I think it's probably better. Like, because it's actually about like, there's a, there's a bit of it that's basically about the, the personalities and the kind of but that's whole concept where, around it. Because everyone's like, oh, love I love it. Lando or I oh, hate um, Lewis or uh, Max Verstappen's a, you know, something or other. And I'm like, who are these people? They're just people yeah. in helmets. Yeah. But there is, I think even more than that, it's the, uh, the guys who are behind the scenes, right? The, the Haas owner will quickly become your favorite person on earth. So um, I, I look forward to hearing your, your throw, but I actually want you to start reviewing these in, in future episodes so we know how, they, how, they, how you've got on with watching these shows. But yeah, it's really, really good, mate. I, I really enjoyed it. I can't wait to start season two. I'm waiting for Lucy to catch up so, I can, uh, so I can do, we can do it together. Right. Okay, cool. Right. Well, at number two, I am finally going to take the plunge. And I've been saying I'm going to do this for about a year now, but this is confirmed 100%. Here we go. I am doing it. And I can tell you confidently that I am doing it because I started my seven-day free Apple TV subscription last night. I am going to watch Ted Lasso finally. How have I not done this? Dean has been telling us to do this for over a year. 
Mate, when we were at Bleacher Report, we made the pre-promo shows for it before we were allowed to watch it. We, I mean, we had a we had a good chat. We watched the, I think we watched the pilot, um, and it was they basically were like, "How oh, can you do this?" We did that. It was fine. We're back with BL Football Ranks days, um, and now you're looking at it going, "How have you not?" I, I mean, I have no idea how you've managed to avoid it this far. It's because just I don't have Apple so TV. Good. I mean, that that's fine. I I didn't have Apple TV either, um, but I, I just found got it. a way. Um, so you know, right. there's 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 something to be said for the fact that it's just. I mean, the more awards it wins, you know, the the more the more kind of rude it is that you haven't watched it yet. <laughs> and I think there's <laughs> everything in basically in football slash soccer culture, which you which had won this many awards, which had won all this kind of uh, plaudits, you would have been all over by now. Yes, I know, I know. And also, when an actor as famous as Jason Sudeikis comes out and, and supports. My guys, Marcus Bakayo and Jaden. When he comes out with a T-shirt that supports our guys, I need to, I need to go ahead and, and return that favour. Yeah, I'm intrigued as to what's actually beaten off Ted Lasso over top spot. Given that we've been talking about this for the best part of a year, and well, you, you should know exactly what it. is at number one spot because it's something you won't shut up about. Go on, then. recently, I have the displeasure of sharing a studio with Jack twice a week, and that's not very the, nice. For the last three studio visits, maybe two. There has been a TV show from England that has been quoted incessantly, <laughs> incessantly, to the point of driving me insane. It's called Toast of London. It was released about eight, nine years ago, something like that, maybe 2012, yeah. 2013. And Jack and, and, and the, uh, the producer or the director, or what's, his, what's James's title? I think he, has many he, does he basically does everything. Yeah. And Jack and a guy called James Lorenzo, um, who worked for who worked for twenty three and live score in our studio? They won't stop shouting quotes uh, from Toast of London. And you, you know when it gets to the point where you can't join in the, the office jokes because you haven't seen it. Well, I'm feeling very sad about that, so I'm going to have to go and watch it. So Toast of London, I can't tell you what it's really about because Crazy. all I hear is, is Periscope up. Periscope is, down is in the studio. Up Periscope down. Well, I, I, I'm Periscope. Got it, I haven't even got it right. Um, you haven't even got it right. Yeah, no, it's, it's a shame. Um, no, it, it really is very, very funny. It's Matt Berry, who's probably my favorite actor, um, playing a guy called Stephen Toast, who's like an actor who basically refuses to perform uh, and basically does a lot of like, <laughs> just a lot of like voiceovers. And therefore, every time I'm asked to do a test for a voiceover, I basically just pick a Stephen Toast line, as you do, as you, as, as a normal person would do. Um, but Sam is Sam is feeling a bit left out, so we've told him he has to go and watch it. Um, and then we're going to feed him Matt Berry's other things, um, especially he did a six-part series for the BBC, which makes absolutely no sense, and it was written by Bob Mortimer. Um, but if you want to watch episode one, search Matt Berry Boat Race, um, and it's on YouTube. The whole thing's on YouTube. It's, it's incredibly amusing, but it's one of those things that you will either find the funniest thing on earth, or you won't find funny at all. So you know, it's, it's also incredibly divisive. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you know just how just how many people are divided by by Matt. Berry and uh, and Bob Mortimer. Well, Matt Berry is amazing, absolutely amazing, and he probably hasn't been given the the opportunities. I'd say that that or the, maybe the, the glamour that he's deserved. He's just quite he's, weird. Yeah, but he's got an, an absolutely iconic voice, and he everything yes. he touches is gold. So if I've you watch the if, if you're in if you're in England in or the UK and you don't know who Matt Berry is, he's the guy that does the money supermarket adverts, mm. um, and that's his and he's voice. the guy in IT crowd who says, "I put my back to space, <laughs> and I wish for a helicopter, yeah. and I got it." 
He's um he's got a very iconic voice, um, and therefore him voicing things is funny. Um, yeah. it, you know, no matter whether he's voicing them in front of pictures, uh, as are the the sketches on YouTube, or if he's voicing things by pretending to be a voiceover artist such as Toast. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes it makes for an incredibly enjoyable viewing. Um, right. and that's that's where we'll leave it. But yes, I'm glad that you're going to get this done. I think yes. you should get this done and out of the way so you can join in, and then you can get on with actually watching important shows. Important shows. Yeah, like Ted Lasso and okay. <laughs> Ted Lasso right. and Drive to Survive. Yeah, I was going to say, I make sure. Yeah, uh, the only the most important show I watch is anything with David Amber in it. Of course, of course, there are there are levels to this game, very much so. And um, well done, Sam. That was a, a good gibberish. I look forward to hearing how the outcomes come out. Um, and basically, that's all that we've got time for on this week's episode. And all that's left for me to do is say thank you, firstly, uh, to Stephen Ganavas for for joining us and for providing um, such wonderful knowledge and uh, a wonderful list in our main ranking. Uh, thank you to Dean Jones for sending in his melon of the week. Thank you very much, Sam Ty. Cheers, buddy. Uh, I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you again next week with another special guest. Take it easy. Peace.